Hey, 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 welcome to the fourth season of Activate, a podcast consisting of purposeful conversations aimed at encouraging listeners to embrace both the beauty and chaos of life. Through laughter, tears, and brutally honest confessions, each episode will culminate with a call to action, offering tangible ways for listeners to not only strive for, but to become the best version of themselves. I'm Steph. And I'm KB. Steph is a certified holistic wellness and gut health specialist who has dedicated 10 years of her life to building multiple six-figure businesses online. And KB is a former network marketing hater turned top leader in her industry. She is a certified life coach helping women to get unstuck from the same chains that once held her back. Together, we have built a thriving business by helping incredible women just like you level up in their health and wealth, all while staying rooted in Christ. Thank you for being here. Let's do this. Hey, hey, Activators. I am here again, San Steph. She is working hard um, and I'm not, so I'm at home recording. I am excited today to have a guest um, that um, is going to share about something that hits really close to home for myself and my family. Um, So I want to welcome Eric Perrin to Activate. Eric has struggled with addiction for 17 years. He's now six years sober. Eric has transformed his life through recovery and his entrepreneurial business. After marrying his childhood sweetheart in May of 2021, he and his wife, Jean, created a safe space for people struggling with addiction to give them a better chance at rejoining society. They did this by starting a sober living home called Hope House. Eric and his wife, now have three men's homes and one women's home. Eric works as a substance abuse counselor at a treatment facility in Lafayette, Louisiana, and he hopes to continue to help others in his community and to never forget where he came from. So welcome, Eric. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I love that. I can just read the humility in your bio. I know you don't want this to be about you in any way, um, but I sure appreciate you being here and being willing to share your story. Again, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. All right, guys, before we get in the episode, I just want to talk to you about NUX Activewear. Work hard, play hard, and slay through the sweat with NUX Active. NUX Active is high-performance activewear that doesn't compromise on the chic. Located in Los Angeles, their diverse women-operated team oversees every meticulous detail of the design process, from the first stitch to the last shipment. They channel Positive Planet vibes through a commitment to using the best organic fabrics and recycled materials as much as possible. NUX Active is active fashion that flexes and fits like a buttery second skin. Power through Pilates, dare to reach your hit goals, and strive for that extra rep in NUX Active. Run, don't walk over to NUXActive.com. That's N-U-X-A-C-T-I-V-E.com to check out the latest collection and energizing colorways. As a gift to you, Take 20% off your purchase with promo code ACTIVATE20 at checkout. That's ACTIVATE with a K, 20 at checkout. Make positive moves with NUX Active. I wanted to just start out with a couple of um, just some facts. Um, I always come strong in with the facts. So um, 70,630 people died from drug overdose in 2019. 1.6 million people have had an opioid use disorder in the past year. 745,000 people used heroin in the past year. 1.6 million people misused prescription pain relievers for the first time in the last year. 48,006 deaths attributed to overdosing on a synthetic opioid other than methadone. Um, 10.1 million people misused prescription opioids in the last year. 
2 million people used methamphetamine in the, in the past year, 50,000 people used heroin for the first time, and 14,480 deaths attributed to overdosing on heroin um, in a 12-month period ending in June 2020. Those are just startling numbers. Staggering numbers. Yeah, very, very scary. My my own family, um, you know, is dealing with some of this. And um, I want to let you just start from the beginning and share your story. But I, I just want you to know that just you being willing to share will help so many people. So thank you again. Well, thanks again. And again, those numbers are staggering. And we're losing a whole generation of people. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a generation that that'll be skipped because of drug abuse, people dying. Um, it's, it's every day. It's not going away. It's getting worse. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I, yeah. And thank you for being willing to step out there and try and help people because that's one of the things that I've noticed and, and what I've um, experienced in my life with family members dealing with addiction is that it's so hard to get people help. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, the, the resources are there and I, I can only speak from my experience. I know, that was probably a three year stretch at the end of my addiction. I really wanted help. Um, I wanted to quit using drugs every day. I didn't want to do that to myself anymore. I didn't really didn't want to do that to the people I loved. Mm -hmm. However, um, I just wasn't one of those people who was going to go to treatment. I had, um, right. I, I had gone to treatment when I was 20, 20 years old. Um, my parents forced me, not forced me to go. They made some hard decisions. I went, I didn't, I wasn't ready to quit. I thought I was just another kid who was experimenting with drugs and may have gone a little bit too far and I could fix it myself. Right. Um, so yeah, that, that last stretch from the one time I left treatment, I overdosed and died and went back to treatment again. And this is all in 2001. And, wow. and so that started a, a vicious cycle that lasted until I was 37. Okay, and you're 42 now. You're 42 now. We're, we're the same age. Um, so can you let's like start at the beginning. So how did this? How did this start for you? So for me, um, I grew up in a small town, and what we did on the weekends was drink and party. Um, yep, me too. It, it, you know, it's just what we did. It wasn't a you, 15, 16 years old. You were getting beers. You were having a good time. Yeah. Just like what I consider normal, right? Like. Yeah. Now that I'm older and I can see that that's not the most normal thing to do, but it's it's just what we did. One hundred percent. That's just I'm from a small little town in Iowa and there's just nothing for kids to do. You just find a, a safe space where you can go and, you know, hide out and drink and party. That's all we did. We hunt, we hunt, fished and drank. And I love it. Sounds like Iowa. <laughs> I mean, our parents kind of basically knew what we were doing and they were OK with it. And. Right no fault of their own. That's just the way they were brought up also. Right. So, exactly. yeah. um, did I drink more than my friends? Probably not. I was, um, I think things started going kind of haywire for me. I was relatively good at baseball and around my junior year, I decided to quit baseball. And, uh, mm -hmm. as I've gotten sober and, and sober and look back on my past, I realized that was probably like a jumping off moment in my life to where, I chose a different path mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. yeah, just, it, it, it was a continual down. Uh, it, it went down from there. Yeah. So what do you remember the first time like you tried? So I, 
I'm one of those people I'll try anything probably once. And if it's good, we're going to do it again. Um, so for, for instance, I was, I don't know if y'all familiar with dare, uh, drug. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was like the dare spokesperson when I was in seventh or eighth grade. Um, won all the classes, wrote the, wrote the best paper on it. So is it ironic that I ended up where I am? Maybe. Um, but at that time, I don't think they had the tools that they have today. Um, and again, no one knows what, what it can lead to. No one at that time in 2000, let's say 1996, it wasn't a thing yet. Right. Um, 1997, 98. I don't know if you remember when the Oxycontin scene um, got going. I was a senior going to be a going to be a a, a, going to college, and Oxycontin was just coming on the scene. So, in the town that I'm from, it it ravaged the town. You know, I was at that time. I was partying. I had always partied. You know, I, I I mean, is cocaine recreational? Probably not, but Right. I considered it. I, I thought it was. I still got up and went to school. I still got up and did things. We had fun. Right. Um, using drugs was fun. I didn't do shit if it, excuse me, I didn't do things if it wasn't fun. Um, yeah. So all of it started off as fun. Right. Um, did I have some trauma in early childhood? Maybe so. But was that my excuse for becoming who I was? No, it, it, was, it was fun. So graduate, go to college, continue to party like normal people, you know, like college kids do. And then, like I said, Oxycontin was making a, a big push and I started taking those pills. And those changed things. Um, I like to, I wish I could go back and think about the exact moment where I knew I had a problem, but I was too naive to even know I had a problem. Was your family aware of this at that time or not yet? I'd like to say no, but I'm sure they were, you know. Um, at that, but I had been partying since I was 15 years old, so it hadn't affected my life. I had zero negative consequences up until that point. Right. There was no reason to be concerned. Right. Um, did it change who I was a little bit? Probably not, probably not up until that point. Um, I had, I mean... Now, I, who I am, I push the limits of fun. So where my friends would go home, I'd go and I ended up with a needle in my arm. And I, and I still was able to put it down and go about life. So it still was fun for me at that time. And you were still able to convince yourself like, oh, this isn't a problem I didn't because even, I, I'm kind of in control. I never had the wherewithal to think that it could, that it could be a problem. Right. That it could start to control you. Correct. So... I remember in college, I had been using those pills for a couple of days or a couple of months, probably every day. Mm-hmm. And one day we couldn't get them and I didn't feel good. But at that time, I was still naive. I didn't understand that I was in detox. I was I was in withdrawal from the opiates. I just thought I was sick. I thought I had a flu. Fast forward, I, I continued to use them and... It, it never got any better. It got worse. And my personality being what it was, I continued to use more and more and more and more and more. And, um, 
I don't remember my senior year of school. I didn't graduate college. I left North Louisiana where I thought that was a problem. I went to a different school. It just was a, and it, it never got, it's never been back to the same. I never got back to, to normal until way later in life. Right. So fast forward, I start getting in trouble um, because those pills are expensive. And people are starting to overdose. Now it's becoming a problem, you know, like, you know, there's consequences behind it now. Now it's not recreational. At the time, I would have never called myself this, but I was a full blown drug addict by that time. Right. Um, so this is, so how old are you now? You're 20... 21, 22. Okay. Okay. Um, getting some trouble. I, <clears throat> I meet my wife now. She helps me get to treatment. I don't stay in treatment. I'm not ready to get sober. I'm 21 years old. Um, I leave. I ended up going to jail for six months. Um, from jail, I, I go to a rehab in somewhere in Louisiana, and then they sent me to a sober living in Arizona. Okay. So let me ask, when you're in jail, are you thinking like, okay, I want something different for my life? Absolutely. I don't want this anymore? Absolutely. Every time. Yeah. Every, every, without question, every time. I'm never going to do that again. Right. Um, I get out of jail. I go to Arizona. I'm living in a sober living. Things are going decent. I'm not using drugs. I'm probably sober. I say sober. I'm probably not using drugs. I'm six or eight months sober. Um, I fly back home and for whatever reason, I ended up um, getting high again. And I, I don't even know what happened. I don't even, I don't remember enough to, it's all a blur really. Yeah. So I go back to Arizona after I came home to see my parents and my family. I never saw them. I got back on the plane after five days and went back and I never told them I did drugs. I just told them that something happened. I couldn't, I don't know what happened, mm -hmm. but so obviously I'm kicked out of the sober living house in Arizona. So I'm homeless, but me being me, I've always had a really good ability to make friends and a really good ability to adapt to situations that suck. Yeah. And make the best of them. So I was only without a home for a couple of days. I found some, I found a job that I had never had before, found a job, met a girl at the job. She let me move in with her and her kid. Mm -hmm. And uh, it didn't get any better. I continued to do it. So that started a cycle of probably two, maybe a year or so where I was not using opiates, but I was, um, I was drinking so much. I, I didn't, I didn't have any way of coping with life. Um, so yes, yeah, things would have it. I stay in Arizona. It gets no better. It gets way worse. Um, it was a lot of peaks and valleys. So I would be, I would do decent. I'm, I have the, I was blessed, like I said, with the ability to, to sell myself and sell a dream to someone else. And I was able to string together a couple of months of decent, living. And then my family would start talking to me again. I'd get a little money in my bank account and i will do it again and again and again. So when you went back to Arizona, did you think you'd be able to go back to the sober living house or were you simply trying to get away from 
the things that would get you back into that cycle in Louisiana? I really do not know what my intentions were. I didn't have a plan. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it ended up being a pattern. I, I I just make a decision and I go about that decision and I'll deal with it. It becomes a problem for future, for future Eric. Mm-hmm. Where I'm, if I have a place to live or will I have a place to live is not, that doesn't play a part. Right. We, we just, I'll, I know I'll figure it out. And it'll, that'll be what it'll be. Right. Um, that being what it was, my parents were big enablers, right? Um, so if I had, if I showed any glimpses of hope, they would come and help me. Yeah, I think that. I mean, that's just your parents just loved you so much, and yeah. they. I think that so many parents fall into that trap of like, well, one, addicts are master manipulators. Yep. Um, because they're going to get what they want, no matter what they have to do to get it, no matter what they have to say, no matter what lie they have to tell addicts will get what they want. And when you're the parent or the family of, you just absolutely love them so much and you want to believe that you can help or that this is the time that they're going to change. And so, um, you, you do, you kind of fall into that pattern. And, um, I've watched it just over and over again in my own family. And it's so difficult when you're in the position of loving an addict to, to, to know what in the heck is the right thing to do. And I think the truth of the matter is like you're saying is that until the addict themselves decides that they want to get help and they want to get better, you can force them into treatment as many times as you want. And it's going to end up the same way every single time because they haven't decided in their own heart that, that they're ready to stop and that they want their life to be different. So I think I I have a kind of a difference of opinion. I believe everything you said, but when I, I remember when I used to talk about to my mom, or the, I believed I, I, I didn't want to do that anymore. I was never going to do that again. In my back of my mind, I wasn't, it wasn't like a lie. It was the truth to me. Right. I believed what I was telling her. Therefore, it made it easy for her to believe me. Right. Right. That makes sense. So I think every, a lot of people, when they end up in treatment, they believe when they're talking to you, they believe the things they say and they should. Yeah, um, I do. I think that's true too. Looking back, talking to my family members that were in treatment and asking them after, like, did you, did you know that you were going to drink again right away or you were going to do drugs again? And they would tell me, no, they did not. They believed that they were going to be done until they got out on their own and then they weren't. And so like, I'm a super stubborn, hard-headed person. So at some point I made a decision like this is just who I was going to be uh, and we'll figure it out. Um, so what happened, you know, I'm doing that, living in Arizona and Arizona had, so Oxycontin, they kind of went away with by 2004 or five, it started to trickle out. You couldn't get them anymore um, or maybe later than that. I don't know mm-hmm. what Arizona did have was cheap drugs. Um Heroin was heroin had never made it to Louisiana yet. In Arizona, it was prevalent. It was everywhere, mm-hmm. and it was super cheap. So, for an opiate addict like myself, it was like the best thing that ever happened. Right. Uh, so, what would have cost me eighty dollars in Louisiana for one pill? I could get, and, and almost it was, it was crazy. Right. And so I did that and. You know, 
that doesn't go well for very long. And I, I mean, there's umpteen different stories and um, of just how insane I was. But it all boils down to I was insane. I did insane things with insane people. Mm -hmm. And so I did all that and I I floundered at life. And so after about seven years in Arizona, I think we had 2010 by now, give or take, somewhere in that ballpark. I had tried the methadone um, maintenance program. I did that for a while. Mm-hmm. unsuccessfully yeah how do you feel about the methadone um i wouldn't say my feelings are strong toward it being a useful tool to does it have a place can it help people yes if it is but it has to be administered in a healthy manner if not it's basically um you know i i, be, I became a <laughs> slave to the methadone clinic you know, my life my life revolved around that time from six AM to nine PM when it was open and into the next day. Right. So I couldn't right. go anywhere. I obviously would get the methadone and use more drugs in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. You know. But yeah. yeah. It was it wasn't good. So I'm in and out of jail over there doing whatever it needed to be to get done. Um, and then I make a decision at some point to come back to Louisiana. I'm going to come home. My mom wants me home. I've been gone for a while. Let's try something different. Mm-hmm. So I take off for for Louisiana. I got a U-Haul and a dog and I take off. Um, I don't know how aware you are, but a heroin addict without heroin doesn't get far. So a 24 hour would should be a 24 hour trip took me, I don't know, two weeks. Wow. Cause I couldn't, I couldn't get far enough. And then I get to another city where I could go find it, find it, stay there until I wore out my welcome. And that was that cycle for a while. Yeah. Finally making home after a lot of discomfort, for lack of a better term. So this is like 2010-ish. Again, I'm just a, I'm a, I'm a drug addict with no solution. I don't have a, uh, I don't have a plan. Suboxone had come on the scene. And so the plan was for me to get on Suboxone. I had a friend who was on it and he was, he was doing well. Um, all right, I'll try that. Try it. And I, I kind of stay off of the dope for a while. Um, one thing leads to another and pretty soon I am in a kind of, I'm, I'm selling drugs at this point. Um, Do that successfully. When I say successfully, um, as successful as you could be, right? Um, but I'm not using opiates. So in my mind, I was sober. I was taking Suboxone and smoking methamphetamine. Wow. 
but that was a win. Right. For me, that was a like that. I considered my life manageable at that point. Wow. Um, so, yeah. And not only did I consider it manageable, the people around me also considered it manageable because I wasn't stealing their stuff and I wasn't I wasn't strung out. Um, do that. And. uh When, when I was doing that, it was, it was kind of on a big scale. Um, eventually those operations usually fall apart. It fell apart. So like 2000, let's say 14, 15, it fell apart. Mm -hmm. The things I had acquired, people start going to jail. Um, friends of mine from all over, start going to jail. So the, the party's over. Um, okay, now what? I, by this time in, in South Louisiana, heroin had found its way here. It didn't take long for me to get right back into who I was or who I at that time was. So I get back on the heroin and I don't know, in a two year time, I went from having a couple of things. I mean, physical things, a, a truck, uh, a house, yeah. things I had acquired, physical possessions that I, I thought I, I needed to have nothing. So probably from the Late 2015, early 2016, I didn't want to be on this planet anymore. Yeah, I was just going to ask that. Um, Did you get to that low? Yeah, level? yeah, yeah. No, I lived that way for a long time. So nobody, nobody wants to do the things that I'm going to do to get what I need. I'm aware of what I'll do to get what I need. I'm also aware that it's not nothing, not anyone is going to stop me from acquiring the things I need to make myself feel better. And I had made a decision that I wasn't ever going to get help. So that makes for a dangerous human. Right. So why do you think you made that decision? You just felt like it was, I was hopeless. It, was hopeless. Yeah. it wasn't going to work. Rock bottom. Yeah. I, it wasn't going to work. The best thing I could ever hope for was to die an addict, to die with a needle in my arm. Yeah, wow. Quietly. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't have it in me to think of a life outside of that. I, I just didn't. Um, I knew I wanted every day I wanted to stop. Yeah. Um, that doesn't mean I was going to. So at this time, I'm doing every, you know, I'm, Living less. So fast forward, I did that for 2016 and everything you can think of that a junkie does to survive. Yeah, to maintain. Right. So selling my clothes, selling my possessions, you know, all of everything that you think of. Mm -hmm. Hoping that someone takes me out of my misery or something takes me out of this world because I don't want to do this. I don't have the guts or the... I don't have the guts to put a pistol in my own mouth, but if someone else would, I welcomed the, I welcomed it. 
So I ran around. So I, I moved around with that mindset and that makes for a dangerous human. Yeah. Nothing to lose. Nothing to lose. It's, it's um, it's not a mindset that I, well, I wish on anyone. Cause there's nothing you could do to me that I wouldn't want to do to myself. And that makes it, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm a dangerous person. Yeah. That makes sense. What is your family? How is your family at this, so by, this time, by this time? They're done. Yeah. Um, my mom may talk to me periodically. My sister who Ooh. happens to be the healthy one of us all. <laughs> she wasn't speaking to me. Um, I had no reason to speak to her. You know, yeah. I had I had kind of had a couple of peaks and valleys where I'd kind of sneak back in her life and I'd do what I do. And so she was she had washed her hands on me, rightfully. So yeah. um, to this day, my sister had the best boundaries than anyone. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm dying. I'm one hundred and fifty pounds. Um, I know people can't see me, but I'm, I walk around at like I'm six one two twenty, so I'm I'm not healthy. Um, I'm doing everything it takes to survive on a daily basis, and when I say that, I'm not eating. All my money goes to drugs. I'm living in a house with no electricity. I sold all the furniture and everything that goes with that. Yeah, I sold my truck for drugs. I sold. I gave my you know everything. So. And that's just, it's like Groundhog's Day. Every day is the same day. You just wake up thinking what I got to do next to get what I need to survive for the next four hours. And that just goes on and on and on and on. And And you're just unable to have even brain space to think about anything or anyone other than how am I going to get my next fix? Yeah, there's absolutely... No, I don't have... (laughs) My day revolved and it, it was in four hour increments mm. from one to the next, from one to the next, from one to the next. Mm-hmm. I think that's such a, uh, as like the family, you feel like this person that you love continuously just chooses, you know, I, I've, I've learned that it's, it's at, at some point it's no longer a choice. Like you weren't, you weren't choosing this it it was it had control of you um but i think it's so hard as a family member like begging please what can i do how can i help you please stop or the child of someone or you know someone's child like just like feeling like they continuously choose this over me and it's it just isn't that you know but when you're in it that's how it feels to the person like oh my gosh like she loves this thing more than she loves me or he chooses this over his daughter or whatever and it's so hard but i mean it's not as hard as being the person who is quote unquote choosing it because your your life is not your own anymore you're completely out of control of every aspect of your life i'm an absolute slave to drugs at that point slave drugs are my master I do what it says when it says that's just what it, that's what that's what goes into it. Wow. So I'm 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 doing things so I end up in jail here and there for stealing something or so my life is over like I'm I don't want to do this anymore and then 
June 27th of 2017, um, I wake up with uh, the police in my house. Um, actually, the federal government. So Homeland Security is in my house. They arrest me. Um, I had the biggest sense of relief at that time because I knew I was going to be separated from drugs. That this would this would be my only shot. Um, so on some crazy level, I was happy this happened, right? And I was immediately happy, um, as 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 God would have it. They were wrapping up an investigation that involved me from years ago. Um, and I knew back then that, that they were involved in my life. I had I had good reason to believe so. Um, I thought it was over. Why would they come arrest a junkie who hasn't sold anything but him, his soul in the last two years? Um, well, they did. Um, so June 27th at like noon, I got arrested. And um, when you're arrested by Homeland Security, you don't get a bond. And so I go to jail and I know it's about to suck because as grateful as I am, the next few weeks are going to be not fun. You're about and to detox, yeah. You're about to detox from, and I had been using heroin every day for probably three years at that point, multiple times a day, every day without fail. Uh, are there, are there, this is a weird question, but like, are there resources in, in, in jail? For so you there, to so there, are, there are, okay, but this is how done I was. So when I got there, I told them I didn't have a drug problem. Oh. I didn't want to have any, I wanted to feel this. Wow. I wanted to go through what was about to happen. I wanted it to suck because something, because I don't have that power, but like something came over me. Usually I take the easier, the, the, the most painless way. Well, that time I didn't. So I told him I didn't, I dabbled in drugs here and there. No problem. Wow. I get to the back and obviously it doesn't take long. And it was bad. Um, yeah, it was bad. Yeah. It, it was everything you think it would be. If, if you've never done it, I'm, I don't grateful for you but it's the worst flu you have with I, I can't put it into words words don't do it justice yeah. so I'm not eating I happen to know a couple of friends acquaintances who were back there with me in jail so I'd eat a fudge round every two days or something um stayed in my bed just going through it yeah. um detoxing wow do you feel like do you feel like you thought if I do this the hard way, maybe I'll never do it again. Or do you feel like you are almost like punishing yourself by not telling them? I wish I would have a, a, a definitive answer as to why I made that decision. Um, but I don't. Yeah. I feel like at that point in my life, I, I, I the last shred I had of sane thoughts told me that if I don't get this right, I'm not there won't be a second chance. That was God. Correct. There will not, I'm not going to come back from this. Mm -hmm. So we got to take this shot. Yeah. 
go to court for the, they don't release me because they knew I was a danger to myself. Um, they were right. Yeah. I absolutely would have died that day if they released me. Um, so I'm separated from it. So I stay there for a month. They keep me back there for a month. Um, so this is my first real major conviction. So I don't have any previous drug charges. I was a petty. So all the other times that I went to jail, the charges got dropped. It was it wasn't serious. So with that being said, the the federal people gave me a chance to go to treatment. Wow. Let me out to go to treatment. I did. Um and I, I still had that mindset of the desperation in it that this is the only chance I got. Um, so you were so you were feeling because I I were you you were feeling grateful that you were given this chance? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or or terrified that like what if it doesn't work again? No, I didn't think of that. Okay. No, I didn't think of that. It had been seventeen years since I had been to treatment. Wow. Okay. Because you were the guy that wasn't going to go back. Wasn't going back. Um, okay. So I barely remember what happened right. when I went seventeen years prior. Like my I had been in a fog for a long time. So. Even a month in, I still can't play cards. My hands are shaking so bad. I'm still, I'm still physically detoxing. But I go, um, and I, I listen to what they told me. Um, I'm still, I still have this federal case, um, but I'm, I'm, I'm putting some time together. So, two months, I get out. They, I, I go to a sober living, a couple of hours from where I was. Um, and I'm just kind of taking life as it comes. Um, at some point I became super grateful that I'm able to like walk around. Um, I have this, so my parents, they're still not talking to me. Um, I think my mother had, the day I got arrested, my mother had some kind of big surgery and I called my dad and told him they arrested me. Um. Nobody was really shocked. Um, So they start talking to me again. Uh, My sister, I think I was probably six to eight months sober at this point. Because I I kept following whatever the treatment center told me to do, I did. So I didn't put much else. I didn't put much thought into it. I didn't try to overthink it. Like, if you tell me to go to this, I'm going to that. If you tell me to do this, I'm going to do that because I don't have any real skills at living. I had never been really successful at being a, a productive member of society. I was, a, yeah. I was not that. Mm-hmm. So I did those things. Um, so I had a public defender who re- was representing me in the federal case. Right. So he tells me what they have against me and I'm guilty. Yeah. You know, no, I was never caught with drugs, but I'm guilty of everything they said. Like, there's no way around it. I did the things they said I did. Um, but so I'm looking at 48 months because on the, in the federal guidelines, they had, it goes off a point system. So I had kind of low points. My charges were major, but my points were low because I didn't have very many. I didn't have any other major convictions in my life. So I'm looking at 48 months, four years. Um, and I'm super good with it. I, I can do the 48 months. Um, 
I'm I'm basically not looking forward to it, but this is my debt to society. I need to do this. I did those things. I, I've heard a lot of people. This is what I can do. 48 months, sure. I, you, I, you accepted it. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Yeah. So I, I signed guilty and I signed the 48. Awesome. So I'm a, I'm a, I go to sentencing. I plead guilty. So in federal system, you have to go back. Once you, once you sign, you go back a couple of months later for the actual judge to get, hand down his sentence, which he usually follows to the letter of the law. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, around that time, I, um, I'm talking to my sister. She just got remarried. Um, my brother-in-law who's an attorney knows somebody. He said, well, why don't we, you know, try to lessen this. And I'm like, man, look, I've already, I'm, I'm in the home stretch. I'm 10%. I'm, there's only 10% left. I have no chance of not going to prison. He's like, and so they start talking and he puts me in touch with someone he used to work for. And he's going to represent me, but there's not really much to represent. I've already done everything. Right. So he's coming in like the ninth inning to put it in a, a perspective. So we're, we're basically over. I'm going to, I'm going to prison and we just paid this man to, I don't know what, but okay. Right. But by this time I'm a year and a half sober. Um, and I've done everything that everyone suggested I continue to do. Done it to the letter of, to my best of my ability. I'm, So they asked me to, if I would be interested in trying to lessen my sentence. Okay, sure. So my attorney at the time says, yes, you need to do that, whatever. Well, I start thinking about it and I'm not really interested in putting off responsibilities on someone else for things that I did. Um, sure. Because I had been taught up until that point, like it's time to take responsibility for your actions. So at the, in the very last second, I, I, I told the powers that be that I was no longer interested in doing that. Wow. Um, so the, my attorney was like, well, you're going to go to prison. And I said, I'm aware. Um, they're not going to be happy. I'm aware. I'm willing to, this is not about like, I'm going to have to, I'm, I'm going to have to live with the decision I make. And I didn't, I wasn't comfortable with that. Um, and it really, really does. And it really wasn't on no snitch. It was more about like accountability time. It was time that I, I'm 37, 38, 39 years old at this time. It's time that I take some accountability for the things I've done. Yeah. So I did, I did. So I, I went, I stuck with my guns and, respected everyone's time. And then I just didn't do that. So I go to sentencing in Alexandria, fully aware that, um, I'm going to prison for four years and not much I could say. Um, I get to court and the judge who sentences 99.9% of all his people, um, gave me a break. Wow. The people who I thought would be mad that I didn't do that actually showed up at court to say they respected my decision. And that up until that point, I was a real success story in the 
penal system, like in the federal system, like they didn't see people coming from where I was to where I was today. And they thought that by sending me to jail, it would regress me, but they were right. But I mean, so it was, it was, it was a God thing. Right. So totally like this, no, no I didn't. So I'm sitting in court and I just get five years probation with, I got, a, I got sentenced to sober living for a couple of more years, a bunch of hours of community service. A lot of stipulations, but I'm not going to prison. Gosh, I feel like I'm going to cry like I can't. I've had goosebumps this whole time. But like, so how are you feeling when this is what they're saying, thinking that you're going to prison for the next four years of your life? And if I'm doing some quick math here, you would have still been in prison. I would have just gotten out. Wow. 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 And look at all you've been able to do in that time, which we haven't even gotten to. But wow. What an incredible. I mean, God just knew. God knew what you needed and your I love like your integrity in that whole situation. I know you don't I know you're humble and you don't like it to be about you, but I feel like your integrity in that situation and your character and your morals that that told you no, I'm not gonna try to take the easy way out this time. I'm gonna I'm gonna pay for what I've done. Like that's what that's how you were blessed with you know this this lessened sentence and, and then to be able to go on and do all the good you've done. Wow. Yeah, so I 100% believe if I would have taken that easy way out, I don't think I'd be here today. Wow. Uh, <clears throat> because of guilt and shame, or what do you think? I don't know. Uh, I, I just feel it in my bones just that because yeah. um, I was pr I, I was proud that I did that. I, I wouldn't have been proud of myself. Should have been right. You you took that accountability. I you wouldn't have been proud of that. myself because the. It, it, those people didn't make me do anything that I did. I, I, I was, I spearheaded most of those things. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm not going to prison. So now what? Because I had been in my mind, I'm going to prison for four years. And so I didn't, I really, right. I really hadn't started my life. Right. You hadn't been making any plans. No. So I start my life. Wow. I don't have any job skills. Um, but what I do have is I can work. Um, so I start, I get a job, I, I start helping some people and then I find a, a company out of Baton Rouge and they work on Mississippi river. I have no river experience and I just aggravate them until they give me a job. So I get a job with them working on the river in a position I had no business being, mm -hmm. but it was like a, that was a common theme. I always found myself in these positions where I had no business being. Except this time, I was able to make the best of it. Um, so I did. Worked really hard. And my my wife had come back into my life. Not like My wife now has come back. And I had reached out to her when I was a couple of years. And right before I was going to prison. Or when I was supposed to go to prison. So we're dating. Um, because 17 years prior, I had picked drugs over her. Right? Because I, I had dated her. And I... I, I I wasn't ready for that. Yeah. As luck would have it, as God would have it, we start dating again. Um, get married in 21. Life's great. Um, move back. I, I'm, I, I was in sober living. Uh, I stayed in sober living almost two and a half years. Good for you. Judge sentenced me there, and it was way better than prison. Yeah. So... I did that and got married. I moved back to Lafayette. 
I quit my job that I had my, that was my, I had been there three years. I had moved up. I was really good at what I did. Um, quit that to move back to Lafayette and be with her and started a life over here. And wow. yeah, it's wild. And yeah, so, it really is. Like, I'm like beaming. I'm just like, what a, what an incredible story. Yeah. And like sober living for me, when I stayed at sober living, um, it taught me how to live. Right. Um, because going to treatment was one thing. It gets me off of the drugs. I still had no real life skills. Right. Uh, so I've always kind of wanted to, I, th- I saw the play there that they could use a couple of good ones. So I opened them, and my wife had always thought that she just wasn't ready to do it by herself. Mm-hmm. We put our minds together. We, we opened Hope House, the first one. Yeah. And wow. uh, it's one thing led to another. Um, it took a while to get off the ground. Um, so I was open probably four months before we had our first client. Mm-hmm. I actually bought another house before I had the first client in the first one, just because I knew, I don't know what I was doing. Because you knew. I, 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 knew. I, I have no idea. It was, yeah. but that's just kind of how I live. Yeah. So I did, I did that and that was two years ago. Um, my wife just bought, we just opened her first women's house. I have three men's houses. I have 21 men living under the roofs. Um, I'm super proud of what we created. Um, I actually, so when I moved back from Baton Rouge, I didn't have any real, the job I had in New Orleans area, I couldn't, it didn't transfer well. Mm-hmm. Um, I cut some grass for a while. Her, my father-in-law was blessed, was nice enough to hire me until I got on my feet. And ended up working back for the place I went to treatment five years, six years prior. Wow. Um, they hired me. I recently got my counselor and training title. So I'm, I'm working on getting that. And I, yeah, that's what I do now. You spend your days helping people. I do. Just like you. I do. I mean, what a, what a passion project and what a blessing to be able to have gone through everything you've gone through and then be able to just bring it all full circle and be able to help from a, but I feel like there's no better person to help than a person who's been, I mean, to absolute rock bottom in the same situations that you're seeing with these other, you know, men. I, I, I mean, it's a, it's a wild ride. And every once in a while I step back and look and uh, we just closed on our for her and I's like dream home. And the day we closed, was like my six year sobriety date. And uh, I looked at my brother-in-law who was coming to look at the house and I'm like, it's important to understand. Like I didn't understand, but six years ago I was homeless. Yeah. Wow. I was, (laughs) you know, this is great. But like six years ago, I didn't, I couldn't put together two sober thoughts and I was living in a house with no electricity. And now here you are. Yeah, yeah. Your sister always says, but God, won't he do it? And he did. He did, man. And um, so today, like, i super blessed. My sister and I have a great relationship. I'm blessed. Because that was, like, always my biggest. Well, my, she would always hurt me the most because I loved her a lot, right? So mm-hmm. most people I could just walk away from and whatever. Um, but my sister, when she puts up hard boundaries, it would sting because that mm-hmm. – she meant what she said. 
you know. Yeah. She meant that I would never be around her kid. And like, I knew there was no wiggle room. You know, she wasn't going to let me see her for an hour at McDonald's. It was just what happened. Yeah. Just no. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I'm super grateful for every relationship I have today with all of my mother, my dad, my wife. It's great. Ever since the first time she posted about you, it's been on my heart to ask you to share your story here. And I didn't do it and didn't do it and didn't do it. And then she and I recorded. And then it was like the next day she posted about you again. And I was like, do you think you'd be willing? And she's like, oh my gosh, like this is amazing. She said, we just had this talk that that she had felt like God was going to give you a place to share. And I know you've never publicly shared your story. And it is um I know it's because of your humility and because you don't want it to be about you. Um, But God gave you your story and he, you know, the mess is the message and man, what a powerful message and what a, um, what hope you can give to people who are in this right now, whether it's them or whether it's their family. Um, You know, I, I, I know someone in treatment currently and it's just, it's just the most, I can't imagine being a parent uh, in that situation where you're just watching your child, you know, go through that. And I'm curious to know from you, like you're saying your sister set really hard boundaries and you mentioned that your parents were kind of enablers. And I totally get that because of how much they love you. I am such an enabler with my kids. I mean, praise God, we're not, we don't have, we're not in this struggle, um, but just in general, I will enable them. So what do you say? Like what, is there anything, first of all, I would, I would, I think I know your answer, but is there anything anyone in your life could have done? Yeah, no. no. Um, <clears throat> so I think that's good to know because it's, it's out of your control, um, you know, as a parent or a loved one of someone who is an addict. Um, but what do you suggest for, for parents? Siblings? Like what, what the hard boundaries? Um, Isn't this like the million dollar question, right? It is. It is. And I know there's no real, uh, probably good answer because like you're saying, there's nothing you can do. No, there's not. And it's, if I wish, I wish there was like a secret answer. We'd save a lot of people. Yeah. Um, but there isn't, um, kids don't do it. Wife, mom, yeah. no external power has ever kept anyone sober. Yeah. Um, Just- never got anyone sober either. Um, I, I wish I, the, the gift of desperation for me was the gift. Yeah. Um, I feel like sometimes I, I feel like I have prayed for rock bottom for, for people before. Like I just pray that, that they would hit their rock bottom so that they know there's nowhere else to go, but, but to get help and to try to get better. And see, for me, I, my rock bottom just kept digging. It just kept getting, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, right. I just kept. I'm one of those people. I always have an out. Mm-hmm. I always have a plan. Even when I didn't have a plan, I had a plan. Right. My plan was no plan. Not plan. Not having a plan was the plan. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so like I never, the hard boundary would come, something would happen and I just pivot mm-hmm. and I'd figure it out. I don't think everyone's bottom is the same. I don't think everyone has to have the same bottom. My bottom was low and it was dark and it was painful and it was long. Um, I really pray that most people don't have to go that low because I don't think a lot of us come back from that bottom. Mm -hmm. Um, And then 
it, that whole scene has changed so much in the last few years that people aren't even having a chance to get to their bottom. Right. They're, yeah. They're dying before they're dying. they're dying in the fun stage. Yeah. That's so scary. That's yeah. so scary because it's something, you, you know, like when you're dealing with alcoholism, you're not worried that they're going to take one sip of alcohol and it's going to kill them. Whereas someone could take one hit, you know, of, fentanyl yes i, I don't I, absolutely because you know? <clears throat> like when i was the, when i was in in the streets like right you didn't unless you were a heroin addict there was really no chance that you overdosing right you know it was eh, it, right. it happened but like the chances were low mm-hmm. i mean i've done it been shocked back to life but I, I was extreme right and today i don't I would 100% be dead in today's drug world. It's really terrifying. Because your kids, my 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 wife's kids, one one experiment and it's over. You know, thank the Lord that you know her kids are really good men and they don't have that problem. But it doesn't, you know, like it's just wild. The drug scene has changed. Kids aren't having a chance to get to the bottom they don't even know they have a problem they just experiment with drugs and they're dead i've heard that that people go looking for the person who's selling the drugs that have killed people because they're like the good that's the good stuff yes like oh my gosh 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 it's such a scary thing i just i can speak for that for fact <laughs> i mean yeah when that <laughs> that's that that's what i'm looking for so if it's doing that to you, hopefully it does that to me. Yeah. Because until I was ready to go, until I was ready to die, I was always wanting to get as close as I could to the best buzz that ever existed. And that includes sometimes right. going over the line. Wow. So Man. Yeah, that's a, it's, a, it's crazy, but yeah. So what do you say? I mean, what if, what if someone's listening that, that is an addict? Like what, what? What do you say? You just got to, you have to get to a place where you can get separated long enough to, to have clear thoughts. Yeah. People live in such a fog. Where you can have a chance to not have to worry about getting high in the next four hours where you can, because I don't think everyone needs to go to jail and be locked away. To be, I don't think so. Um, I do think there's people who can go to treatment and get, get better and then, get tapered off because when you get in detox, you you become a different human. Mm-hmm. When you're in the withdrawal, you're going to do things you wouldn't normally do. So hopefully you can take the edge off and get, get some time under you, get some, some clear, some clear thoughts. Mm-hmm. And it don't have to be that way. Yeah. Your life and can what, be different. <clears throat> yes. Amen. Your life can be different. Um, and what do you say to a parent or a loved one of an addict? Don't love right. him to death. Ah, oh my gosh. Mic drop. Don't yeah. love him to death. So good. And so hard. Um, I don't know what the secret sauce is to not love him to death. Um, when I say don't love him to death, I mean, it's okay for them to struggle. It's going to suck. And there's an absolute chance that those hard boundaries will result in some bad situations. Mm-hmm. Or you can love them to death where, you know, 
been able to feel it in one day they're gone and you have that regret. Such a tough thing. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, okay. So you're doing amazing things. You have now four homes, right? Three for men, one for women. They're all in Lafayette, Louisiana. Okay. Okay. And do you have people from all over the country coming or are these locals? These are most locals, right? Most of the people, just about everybody's from Louisiana. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so how can, do you have a website? How, how like, how do people find out about Hope dot site, S-I-T-E. Okay. Okay. And is there a way for, through that website for people to support what you're doing? To um, we actually in the, the Hope House has grown faster than we did with our marketing and such. So at the moment, I don't think so. Um, but maybe in the future. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to share that information if that ever uh, becomes a thing. Yeah. Um, I operate as a for-profit business because I just didn't know any differently. Um, they do have some nonprofits, but we're not one yet. So sure, sure. Who knows what the future holds? Um, I don't know. So we were just living one day at a time and doing the best we can. Yeah, none of us do. That's no. the, the beauty of it, right? None True. of us know. True. But man, what a blessing that God kept you around and that you can do this beautiful work and um, you know share your story and just um, dedicate your life to helping people get out of a situation that, you know, had you held you hostage for so long. Um, I'm so proud of you. And I'm so grateful that you were willing to come on here and share your story. Um, And gosh, what a blessing you are to the world. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. All right. Well, everybody check out um, hopehouse.site check out the work that Eric is doing. Um, and just, I would say, just pray, pray for the people that are, you know, come into these homes, pray for, for Eric and his wife to continue to be able to pour into all these people and, um, just God bless you. All right. Happy Monday activators. Okay. That's a wrap on another episode of activate. Stay up to date by following Steph underscore view and Kristen Lee Ballard on Instagram. Please share this episode and rate and review us today on iTunes. Thanks for being here. We love y'all. Later.